Screenless. Keith Hopwood, English pop and rock musician, singer-songwriter, composer. Welcome to Creative Cuppa. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. So, Keith, we were talking the other day about the fact that you can almost divide your career in two. You were the guitarist for the amazing Herman's Hermits in the 60s. Yeah. Uh, and you're also the composer for some of the UK's wonderful film and TV for kids. Yeah. Let's start with Herman's Hermits. How did you start with them what was your journey like? It was a fascinating uh, journey which went beyond all expectations. I was uh, a 14-year-old kid with a guitar and tunnel vision in that, you know, that's all I was interested in. It just encompassed everything. I started a band when I was 14, 15, and uh, there was five of us in that band, and we did the usual you know, working men's clubs and that sort of thing. Uh, and at the same time, there was this other band who eventually asked me to join them. So I joined up with them and we carried on from there. We we got lucky with uh, the local TV, Granada TV, Johnny Hamp, who ran the uh, entertainment side of it, then gave us three or four slots over different weeks. So after these had been shown, in the space of a couple of months, we were pretty hot stuff. Well, we were in Granada land anyway. <laughs> we still had no record deal, but eventually our manager came across Mickey Most, who was an independent producer who just had a big hit with the animals and uh, House of the Rising Sun. Mickey came up with I'm Into Something Good, which had been a, a small hit for Earl Jean and the Cookies in America. And uh, we were off. And he was just a, a genius at producing pop singles. You know, he finding the right material, whether it was a a cover version from the 50s or, you know, a new song that had come out. He just sort of had the magic touch with it. And uh, for us starting out, um, really the holy grail is just, first of all, just to make a record. <laughs> then second, secondly, to hear it on the radio. And that's kind of it. You know, nobody really thinks further than that. So when it did, you know, it was number one in like three weeks time. It was just so fast. And then within about two months that had done the same in America. So oh, they all kicked off over there. So it really was a mind blow. Wow. It's a very young age, isn't it, to be kind of exposed to that level of fame? It was. Almost yeah. overnight. You know, you were on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, a few times, yeah. What was that like to have that sort of spotlight put on you at such an early age, uh, very, very quickly. What did that feel like? It was totally bizarre. I mean, it, you know, we were popular over here, but in America, it was sort of 10 times the reaction. Mm. Things like the Ed Sullivan Show, which is done in, in the middle of Manhattan, you know, and so, of course, everybody knows you there. Mm. So the streets of, I mean, it was just manic. And we were all, what, 18, 19, yeah. something like that. You know, Peter was Peter was the youngest. He was probably 17. I was probably 18 by then, you know. so um, Knocking on a bit. Yeah, <laughs> knocking on a bit, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that you were, what, 26 when you left? Well, yeah, about that, yeah. It was, it was kind of various things happened, you know. Um, uh, we had a, a record company problem in America, which kind of just puts the mockers on it because you... You're not getting any product out. Yeah. 
So that kind of finished. And we, we then we had a lot of hits around the world after that for another few years. And then Peter decided he was going to, you know, be the next um, big star in Las Vegas. And so we kind of split up. We carried on for a bit, did a, a whole album of self-written stuff. But then it started going sort of a bit backwards, so I decided I'd rather put my energy into my company, Pluto, which I'd, I'd already started. Yeah. So I left and I had this little studio in Stockport and we started doing music for commercials initially and invented a whole system of getting sound onto local commercials, which were the very cheap, cheapest form of advertising on TV. And we came up with a way of not changing the visual side of it, but completely changing the audio. So instead of a live announcer, you would get, you know, an orchestra, voices, anything you want, you know. And we sold this all the way around the country. We were making commercials for every TV station in the UK, which, you know, for two or three years, we had that to ourselves. And then that, you know, that ended. And it was around this time that uh, Malcolm Rowe and myself, who was my writing partner by then, I met up with Mark Hall and Brian Cosgrove. Right. Yes. They went on to become the legendary Cosgrove Hall films. They left Granada and started their company, and they'd done a, a couple of shows. In fact, I think we did the first show that um, they did called Sally and Jake, mm. and then they moved on from that setup and set up the Cosgrove Hall that, that we knew then. And yeah. uh, we then went on to do lots of different shows for Wind in the Willows, which was a big one, which we tried to keep it all yeah. up in the north, as it were, but it was totally orchestral. And we then went on to do about 65 episodes of it after after the feature. And that went on for a good few years. Uh, we then did the, the BFG, the Roald Dahl story. So we did that uh, and carried on with them. And of course, from that, we then got into working with other people on, on yeah. different shows, mainly animation shows, you know, who still doing an awful lot of commercials. I mean, the commercials were uh, at that point in Manchester, the agencies had quite a few big national accounts. I don't think it's quite the same anymore, but they were based up there, not in London. So we had some really good, uh, some juicy, you know, commissions there. Uh, we basically built all the studios. <laughs> yeah. So going back a bit, Keith, mm. playing in a band, writing music for advertising, writing music for animation and yeah. uh, kids programming. You know, you have different approaches for those. So. Yeah. What was that transition like for you? Did you just throw yourself in and think, well, I'll just figure it out? <laughs> well, yeah, and it was it was a bit more gradual than that. I mean, mm. the stuff that we'd written for the band, which when we'd done our own album after Peter had left, was, was quite sort of country rock sort of stuff. But then even then, there's sort of, the, the, there's a year's time before we it gets to the point where I leave. So it's not as if I was doing one thing one day and then, you know, how do you write a jingle the next? And it, it was yeah. very toe in the water. I mean, you know, the most difficult thing when you're starting in a, a new thing like I want to write for commercials is the first thing they say is, what have you done? And we say, yeah. nothing. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we had uh, one creative director who was really great, Ken Bowden. Uh, we had a big agency in Manchester called uh, Bowden Dival Hayes, BDH. And he was lovely. He was a real character. And he said, there you go, there's, there's a script, get on. You know, I mean, we, so we did it and we had one to actually do. I don't think it ever got made, but it. the point was it got us going and then they yeah. gave us more work. And, you know, bit by bit you do that. And obviously 
jingles is well jingles is, is i suppose more akin to the animation stuff than writing full-blown songs you know but it yeah. was it was a gradual thing which we you stick your toe in the water and try it and then uh, mm. you know when you get it wrong you adapt and and hopefully <laughs> you get better <laughs> <laughs> so you you very casually mentioned wind in the willows and uh, bfg there. Yeah, uh, I don't think they should be underestimated in their their impact on on kids at the time. The wind in the willows, which is is still, you know, I still get emails about it, and we made an audio version of it after the event, which is still people still buy around the world and you know talk about it. it's yeah, yeah. incredible. But at the time, it was it was quite an event because the the literary property had just come out of copyright, and so Cosgrove Hall were in there and were adapting it. Mm. Uh, well, obviously, this job, the, doing the feature, t- takes years, you know, two or three years. And what happened during the course of the two or three years? They changed the law again and it went back into copyright. <laughs> oh, my word. But because they started it, they were allowed to, to finish it off. Um, yeah. But then it stayed in copyright um, for like another 10 years or something. Yeah. But it was it was a really big deal. We had a royal premiere in the West End in, in Leicester Square for the feature, you know, which you don't often get with a, you know, yeah. <laughs> animation it's series. Amazing. And you know, the, the talent that was on it was were just incredible. You know, there was uh, Sir Michael Horder and David Jason. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Ian Carmichael was on the feature. He played Ratty. And the quality of it, which is why I think it still lasts now, you know, I mean, I still get people saying, well, every, every so often we dig one out and watch it because the, the quality of, of the, the voices and, and the script, you know, were just second to none. Yeah. Uh, so it was a real privilege to, to be asked to do it in the first place, you know. But Mark, it was Mark's baby more than Brian because Mark was the uh, stop frame side of it and uh, Brian was more the drawn side of it. But Mark was very keen on his uh, on his music and, you know, very encouraging. Mm. And uh, I think he was happy with, with what we got in the end, you know. Absolutely. I have to admit, when we first met, I um, went home and rewatched the BFG. <laughs> and it it's it so stands up. I think it was on Amazon. Uh, yeah. This was, this yeah, was, yeah, yeah. It might yeah. still be there. This was uh, a few years ago. But nice little segue. You recently re-released the soundtrack to the BFG, didn't you? Yes, it's something I'd wanted to do for years and just not got around to it. So we dug out the the masters for it and uh, remastered all the things and managed to get some extra bits in it and uh, and put it out as a CD. Yeah, so that, that's there as well. That's now. brilliant. Uh, I'll put that link in the show notes uh, okay. for you. Moving on and also moving backwards, Pluto is still going strong. It's changed a little bit recently. The origins of Pluto were I was still in the band and Peter got uh, a film to do, uh, which was going to take him like two months uh, to, to shoot this film in, in the States. Uh, so, of course, we couldn't work as a band for two months. So Lech and I, who was the guitarist, decided we should do something. So we built the studio, not really knowing what to do with it. Obviously, we could record songs in it, but that, that was about it. It wasn't meant to be a big commercial studio. It was a little demo studio in Stockport. And we did that, and then we moved on from that. And then when I quit the band and, and went into it, Leck had bowed out by that time. He, he wasn't really interested in that side of it. So, I mean, that's why it started so early, why it'd been going so long. <laughs> it was in the band for probably another three or four years after we started the, the company and the studio. And it's trundled on, you know, ever since. 
But we were talking last year, and my son, Dan, wanted to get into this side of the business. He's always been in music, had a little production company. He writes and plays uh, a very good guitar. And he he kind of wanted to, to get into this side of it. And I said, well, you know, we've got this company here, which has been around for quite a long time. We've got quite a few big credits. We should adapt it all. Uh, so what we've done is we've, you know, had a new website. It's still Pluto, but... There are actually three of us now. There's there's myself, Dan, and a guy called Andy Crutwell-Jones, who's done a lot of work more in the record business, but also done quite a few kids' shows. He did Bill and Ben, uh, the record of it, and Fun Song Factory and things like that, and a couple of tracks in, in America for big uh, live shows that he's done. So it's quite a varied mixture. We're not all the same, you know. He doesn't do what I do and I don't do what yeah, he does. That's right. And the idea was to just broaden it out and really to try and uh, compose and produce music for a wider field than just TV animation, you know, which is a, a long-term project. You know, it's a long-term just getting yeah. involved with one and then they take forever to make. So, you know, uh, and also if you've got one or two of those on the go, you can't really do much else uh, because they, they take up a lot of time. So the idea was to have more people and go for more different types of commissioned music. So so that's what we're doing. I mean, the, the uh, coronavirus has, has kind of <laughs> slowed that down a bit because it's a bit difficult to go and meet people. But uh, yeah. but we're yeah. getting there, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I will put all those links in the show notes for you for people to go and find you. Lovely. But for now, Keith Hopwood, thank you so much for joining me for a cuppa. Thank you very much, Gareth. Good to talk. Mm-hmm. 